Sherrod Het, the very image of a Jedi Knight stepping out from the history books of the Old Republic. He was noble, honest, and just, rivaling that of any Jedi of his era. If he had but one flaw, it was love, for attachments were forbidden. His love for a fellow Jedi named Yasara forced them both to abandon the Jedi Order and seek a life elsewhere. The stabilizers are failing. We've lost the hyperdrive too. Primary engines are down too. Sherrod, we're going down. Hold on, Yasara! What is this place? Their ship crashed on the desert planet Tatooine, and they found themselves being nursed back to health by a small tribe of Tusken nomads. They were amazed to find the tribe open and hospitable toward them, despite their more reclusive reputation. It was not long before the pair had settled down and assimilated themselves within the tribe. Soon after, with the desert's blessing, a child was born. A boy named for his father according to Tuscan tradition, Asherod Het. A boy. Our boy. Despite his skill with a lightsaber, Sherrod had yearned for peace for the Tuscan people. While conflict over resources was inevitable in the unforgiving desert, much of their suffering had not been at the hands of their environment. All too often, it came at the whim of a ruthless and vindictive crime lord, Jabba the Hutt. The Tuscans found themselves under constant harassment from Jabba's various minions. The Hutt enjoyed sending his bounty hunters to collect debts that he claimed he was owed for allowing the Tuscans to so generously live within his domain. While this was merely entertainment for Jabba, in the end, he would drive them beyond the Dune Sea or wipe them out. Sherrod refused to be a pawn in Jabba's cruel game. Despite the fears of the tribe's elders, he stood his ground and stubbornly refused to bow to the increasing pressure from the mercenaries. When they realized the Tuscans would not give in to their demands, they began to raid their encampments, stealing the precious few supplies they possessed. If the mercenaries were in a particularly bad mood, they took something far more valuable, their lives. This became the constant shadow stalking the daily lives of the Tuscans. Sherrod, still dedicated to the Jedi ideals of peace and balance, understood that their tribe needed strong defenders if they were to survive this threat. So he put his Jedi training to use and gained the respect of the tribe as a formidable fighter. Despite the Tuscans' abhorrence of technology, Sherrod was able to keep his lightsabers 
by explaining they were holy weapons, powered by the twin sons of Tatooine. Sherrod trained the tribes young and strong to protect what was theirs. He showed their defenders how to hold their own against thieves, mercenaries, and the creatures of the desert. Asherod spent his childhood in the vast, scorching wastelands of the Dune Sea. Once his son was old enough to walk, Sherrod turned his attention to him. He knew one day Asherod would grow up to be the tribe's next leader and began to impart the necessary skills upon him. In his father's shadow, Asherod would train in combat, leadership, desert tracking, survival tactics, and the ways of the desert and of the Force. No, Asherod. We do not raise our fists in anger, only to defend. For even the thugs Jabba sends are a part of the balance. This is their world, just as much as it is ours. I understand, father. At night, he learned the art of healing from his mother. Yasara, a former Jedi healer, poured her talents into caring for the sick and wounded. While cut off from the high-tech resources on Coruscant, she made do with the desert's natural gifts and boiled bandages. Yasara taught him the names of the roots and plants and how to enhance their effects. She taught him compassion and humility and showed him that when their meager resources failed them, dispassionate logic was sometimes needed for the survival of the tribe as a whole. We only have so much to give, Ash. To give to another is to take away from the tribe and from yourself. Do so only when you must. But Mama, why can't we save everyone? We must respect the balance of the planet. The desert will claim us all eventually, my love. But it will let some of us live just a little bit longer. If we use our supplies on someone who is too old or too sick, then there won't be enough for us for when we truly need it. That is why the elders, when they have nothing left to give to the tribe, will simply walk out into the desert. They find peace in the knowledge that they are helping the rest of us survive with what few supplies we have left. Sherrod had high expectations for his son to follow in his footsteps as the next tribe leader, and Ash diligently strove to gain his father's approval. When he came of age, Sherrod approached him with the formal request to join the tribe defenders. With his fighting prowess, sense of balance within the tribe, and force sensitivity, this was the path destined for him. Sherrod, they found us. Unfortunately, destiny can be a fickle mistress. Here they come, men! The Hutt's mercenaries approach! Stand your ground and stay calm! The encampment erupted into a flurry of movement, with Yasara directing the women and children into the central tents. The hunters hurried to the dunes to take up their position while the defenders rallied around Sharon. 
An eerie silence fell as Jabba's bounty hunters parked their speeders and sauntered up to the encampment. You know what day it is, old man. The one the Tuscans called the Witch approached Sherrod with a confident smirk on her face. She was a lanky, pale paladuvin. Her antenna implant reflected a ray of sun into Ash's eye. The other one they called the Lizard. He was a tall, reptilian Trandoshan who wore a distinctive yellow and white vest. This duo was the reason the Tuscans moved their encampment so often. They were always somehow able to track the tribe, no matter how far they traveled or how well they hid their tents amongst the dunes. Aura Singh. I thought perhaps you had given up this little game of yours. Well, then you don't know me that well, you old fool. <laughs> I do know you. You come to our tribe and massacre my people for scraps and worthless pieces of metal. You sandmen are so stubborn. We're Tuscan, lizard. Silence, Asherad. <sighs> Jabba is feeling generous today, Sherrod. Don't make this more difficult for yourself, okay? I believe you already know our answer, Aura. Don't play coy with me, desert rat. The answer has been the same for many seasons now. You have been asking the same question for so long that I have seen you grow from a mere child into a cold, careless killer. You backward sandworms don't know what's good for you! You claim we are primitive, that we lack intelligence and have no soul. But you, bounty hunters, you are the ones who seek us out here in this endless wasteland to demand tribute that doesn't belong to you. It is you who kill us and spill our blood on our sacred sands when we refuse. Sherrod seemed to grow as he spoke until he loomed over Aura, who took a step back. After recovering from her initial shock, she took a bold step forward until they were mere centimeters apart. Her mouth split into a twisted smile. <laughs> Bosk. The Trandoshan smiled, baring his sharp white teeth. He launched himself over the line of Tuscan defenders towards the tents where the women and children were hiding. A few defenders made a move to intervene, but were easily batted away. Quick as lightning, Boss ripped open a tent and a sadistic grin spread across his scaly face. He reached in and grabbed hold of something in the darkness. A scream tore through the air as his sharp claws drew out a struggling figure. Ash felt his knees grow weak when he saw who it was. It was Shar, one of the widows who was training as a healer under his mother. Her two children, Zafa and Karok, tried to run after her, but were held back and returned to the tent by a defender. Bosk chuckled as he forced her to walk in front of him out into the open. Afraid of what he would do, the defenders cautiously backed away. Last chance, Sand Slug. You're going to pay us one way or another. Ash's anger grew as his father made no move to intervene. Why isn't he doing anything? 
Even after years of witnessing his father's passive stance with the mercenaries, Ash still couldn't believe that his father would allow this to happen. Father, please. These thugs harass and punish our people. Sherrod raised his hand and silenced his son with a glance. Ash tried to speak up, but his father firmly shook his head. Now was not the time. <sighs> okay then. You've made your choice. Walking over to Bosk, Aura placed an almost sympathetic hand on Shar's shoulder. Then, in one fluid motion, she drew a short knife and thrust it deep into the Tuscan woman's chest. Shar's scream cut off into a whispered sigh as the knife found its mark. A low, chilling growl rang out from Shar's tent, called forth from the shadows by its mistress's despair. Her massive, a reptilian-looking guard dog that the Tuscan women trained from pups, sprang forward to protect its fallen charge. Bosk! Bosk turned around just in time to see the charging beast leaping out from the ruined tent. The battle-hardened mercenary didn't even flinch. He aimed one of his strong legs and planted his knee straight into the beast's chest. With a high-pitched whine, the massive went flying. Visibly limping but still snarling, it hung back to lick its wounds. No! Ash made a move towards Bosk, but Yasara placed a hand on his shoulder and stopped him. Leave the lizard be, son. Ash tried to protest, but his mother simply shook her head. Frustrated, he turned his attention back to his father, who had taken a bold step towards Aura Singh. Go back to your master, witch. You got what you came for. I'll make sure I pass along the message. <laughs> Tossing the injured woman aside, the pair stowed their weapons and strutted over to their speeders. See you soon, old man. <laughs> the tribe watched in stony silence as the pair sped off in the direction of Jabba's palace. When they were finally out of sight, Yasara was the first one to move. Rushing to Shar's side, she began to assess her wound. I need bold water. Era, get the bandages. Mera, help me turn her over. Ignoring the commotion, Ash ran toward the tent where he knew her children were hiding. He felt his heart clench as he entered the remains of the tent. The wounded massif was lying in a corner, whimpering as he ventured inside. As the dusty haze parted, Ash's eyes fell upon two trembling figures huddled together. Ash. The children sprang up and threw themselves at Ash, relieved to see a familiar face. Hey, little ones. You're all right. The bad guys are gone now. A small tear escaped his eye as he embraced Safa and Karok. Hands began to lovingly separate him from the children even as Ash tried to resist. The tribe's storyteller, who had arrived to care for the children, guided him out of the tent and gently shooed him away. This is not your place, Asherodhead. Go to your own family. 
Ash stumbled back to his family's tent in a daze. As soon as he saw his father, he felt his frustrations resurface. They didn't have to suffer, father. Shar, Zafa, Karak. They are our friends, our tribe. And you treat their lives like garbage. You know we cannot retaliate, Asherat. It would only serve to raise the hut's ire and bring destruction down on the rest of the tribe. Your father is right, Ash. The hut would just send more of his bounty hunters the next time the lizard and the witch return to us. Tonight, we will pack our encampment and find a new dune to settle besides. If we don't fight soon... Ash! No! Let us defend ourselves, father. We, we have the defenders and the hunters. We can save ourselves if we plan and fight. That is where you were wrong. This is not our land. It doesn't belong to anyone. We merely dwell upon it. We do not spill blood on what is not ours. Blood is being spilled anyway. Our blood. And it will continue to flow unless we end this. I know that this is difficult to accept, my love. If we fight back against the mercenaries, they will just stay longer or hurt even more people. If we leave them be, eventually they will leave us be. We move with the desert wind while Jabba's palace is chained to a rock. We will eventually be so far away, they will not be able to follow us. You're saying that we must accept a slow death. Will some just get to die sooner than others? Ash stormed from the tent, Ash. unable to look at his parents anymore. Don't leave! Come back here! Suddenly, his wrappings felt too tight, and he was all too aware of his ragged breath. His frustrations surged as he looked upon his fellow tribesmen. They were Tuscans, not beggars dressed in tatters, to be casually disposed of by the whim of a tyrant. Turning on his heel, he broke into a run in search of his bantha, the tents turning to heaps of rags, tethered together by crooked sticks and clumsy stitches in his mind. His bantha, Oom, grunted as he threw himself on its back. He needed to get away from the suffocating noise of the tribe and hear the song of the desert. Come on, Oom. Let's get out of here. Sensing Ash's swirling frustrations, Oom trudged aimlessly off into the desert. As the desert wind wrapped itself around him, Ash's mind turned to Kalthum. Kalthum was a way for Tuscans to commune with the dunes, the wind, and the spirits of the sand, named for the struggle against the desert. The twin sons had started to chase each other into the dunes, and Ash stopped for a moment to watch as one of the Sky Brothers was consumed by the sands. 
The temperature quickly dropped to a few degrees below scorching, and he knew it was time to find a place for him to listen to the desert song. Dismounting from his bantha, Ash closed his eyes and let the sound of the desert overtake his mind. Yes, this would be the perfect place. Let's stop here, Oom. We could both use a rest. Oom grunted and settled himself into the sand right next to a patch of dry desert grass. With one last glance at his mount, Ash wandered a few meters away to a small cluster of rocks. Sitting down, he unhooked a thick, bony cylinder from his belt and placed it in his lap. Ash closed his eyes and urged himself to get in the right mindset to achieve Calthum. The day's anger and frustrations overwhelmed the desert's call, so his attention wandered to the object in his lap. Ash thoughtfully turned the lightsaber in his hands, taking in the details his father had designed so many years ago. The tooth of a massive jutting from the bottom of the hilt, the tribal symbols he'd added later, and the worn metal grip. With his eyes, he traced the swirling patterns and felt a sense of calm wash over him. Ash relaxed and took a deep breath. He could taste the salty sand, and he could feel the cool, dry air in his nostrils as he let his conscious mind go. In the empty abyss, he could clearly hear the song of the desert, the song of life, death, and of all things, the song of Tatooine. <laughs> Ash scrambled to his feet and ignited his lightsaber, his green blade competing with the light of the twin suns. His pulse sped up as the song suddenly swelled and climaxed. Behind him, the wail of a newborn child entered the song, overtaking and silencing it. Relieved, Ash returned his lightsaber to his side. He turned around and nearly walked into a sandstone hut hidden in the sands. It's a the song's chords suddenly became disjointed and dark, making Ash's blood run cold. In his haste to flee, Ash slipped and went tumbling to the ground. He froze as a massive explosion echoed oddly around him. A strange cold dust swirled around him, obscuring his vision. Ash turned to see a tall humanoid man with an elongated head urging a group of fighters forward. They were dressed in uniformed white armor and were up against a sea of droids firing at them. Both the man and Ash looked back in confusion as the soldiers stopped their advance and lined up. It took them both a second to realize the troops were pointing their weapons at them. Instinctively, Ash threw his hands up to protect his face as the first bolt sang through the air. The bolt never reached him. Ash found himself in a strange, frigid tunnel. He was surrounded on all sides like a cave, but its walls were made of durasteel instead of rock. 
Artificial lights lined the roof, marking his way down this endless tunnel. Ash pushed on. The desert song suddenly stopped, and he felt his stomach drop. Turning around, he saw two figures facing off in a lightsaber duel in the distance. One was a dark, towering monster, intimidating and oozing malice with an angry red blade. The other was a simple old man who radiated light and hope as he confidently wielded his blue lightsaber. Ash's heart stopped as the old man paused, raised his blade, closed his eyes, and welcomed the inevitable. No! The vicious red blade swung down, but the old man was gone. All that was left was a crumpled pile of clothes and his lightsaber. The next second, Ash was back on Tatooine. The Sky Brothers were already chasing each other back up into the sky, and the temperature was beginning to rise. An odd sense of calm settled over him as the strange visions slipped from his mind like water in a desert. Oh no. Ash scrambled to his feet and threw himself on top of Oom, who was still sleepily devouring the last patch of desert grass. Come on, Oom, let's go. Father's gonna kill me. Ash's loyal Bantha drowsily broke into a gallop as he raced back towards home and the promise of better food. Ash tried to get Oom to slow down and stop so he could scan for the tribe's new location, but the Bantha refused. He had almost resigned himself to Oom's wandering until he saw a cluster of tents on the horizon and a waft of smoke from the cooking fires. By now, the Bantha had slowed to a lazy waddle. Ash took in the sight of his tribe's encampment with a renewed appreciation. Then, he spotted the speeders. What? How could they be back already? Ash urged his bantha back into a healthy gallop. As he arrived in the encampment, he could see that in addition to the witch and the lizard, another mercenary had joined them. Even though Taro Gall had only recently joined in the Tuscan's torment, his stocky frame and blue skin were not easily forgotten. Leaving Oom with the rest of the Banthas, Ash wandered into the encampment towards the crowd that had drawn itself near his family tent. Aura and Bosk had their weapons drawn, keeping a watchful eye on the crowd while Taro Gall concentrated on a kneeling figure at the front. We already paid in blood, witch. These demands are unacceptable. Like sand, Ash slipped through the crowd for a better vantage point. What he saw froze the blood in his veins. Mama! No! Ash made a move towards the kneeling woman, but Taro Gall was faster. A wild shot rang out, and he fell backwards, clutching his leg. 
The bolt had merely grazed him, but pain still sent him crashing to the ground in an undignified heap. Stubbornly, Ash tried to stand. Before he could fall again, two pairs of steady hands caught him and held him firmly in place. Big words, old man. She's your mate, isn't she? Oh. The desert will claim us all, eventually. Bounty hunter. Brave. And beautiful. Hmm. I wonder. In a swift motion, Aura Singh tore off Yasara's mask. The twin sons looked scornfully down upon her shame. Ash echoed the stunned gasp that chorused through the crowd. Though color rose in her cheeks and tears threatened to fall, Yasara boldly stared down her tormentor. Her continued defiance meant nothing to the witch, as her eyes were locked on Sherrod's expressionless mask. Such a beautiful desert flower shouldn't be hidden from the world in these ugh, filth-covered rags. Ash watched in horror as Aura dragged his mother to her feet by her chin and pressed her lips against her mouth. Yasara seemed to crumble into herself the longer the kiss dragged on. Finally, having her fill, Aura broke away, but forced Yasara to look at her, savoring her shame and embarrassment. Mmm, delicious. Look at your husband, little flower. Will that proud savage take you back now? After all, he's such a stickler for the rules. <laughs> Laughing to herself, Aura tossed her away and let her slump onto the sand. I'll take that. Aura grabbed Yasara's discarded mask and made her way back to her speeder. Time seemed to slow to a crawl as Ash watched his mother's lifeless body drop forward, blood soaking the sands where her head hit the ground. Through the haze of his shock, his brain zeroed in on the sound of Tarogal's cackling laughter as he holstered his blaster. No! In an instant, Ash's mind felt clear. The force swelled up within him and burst forth with a fury. The Tuscans holding him upright went flying backwards, but Ash stayed upright. All around him, the force pulsed and sang, blocking out his pain and calling his lightsaber to his hand ignited. Somewhere in the distance, Ash heard his father calling out to him, but he pushed it from his mind and took a staggering step forward. Letting out another anguished cry, Ash reached out with the force. Tarogal shrieked as he flew backwards and was dumped harshly at Ash's feet. Trembling, he peered up at the dark shadow above him. Mercy, no, please, mercy. Ash savored the feeling as another wave of black rage rolled through him. It centered him and gave him clarity. What a pathetic way to greet death. The desert had no mercy. 
In one swift stroke, he drove his lightsaber through Tarogal's chest, a Tuscan war cry on his lips. Kicking the bounty hunter's corpse to the side, Asherad lunged at Bosk, who was attempting to make his escape. Even with the aid of the Force, his rudimentary skills were no match for the monstrous Trandoshan. A scaly hand caught his neck and slammed him down hard onto the sand, knocking the lightsaber from his hand. Ash put up a fight, but Bosk pressed his foot into his back to prevent him from moving. In a frantic struggle for air, all of Ash's anger evaporated like water under the scorching suns. Stars burst in front of his eyes as Bosk squeezed harder. And now, you miserable old man, your precious son will die too. Ash gave out one last strangled sob as the darkness started to overtake him. The Tuscans echoed their leader's war cry to the watchful twin sons. Raising their gaffy sticks above their heads, the bolder ones charged forward, swinging wildly at the shocked bounty hunters. Ash felt the foot on his back rise high enough to take in enough air to clear his vision. Gasping for air, he turned over and threw his arm up. With the last bit of his energy, Ash used the force to push the lizard off of him. Firing her blaster wildly at the horde to slow them down, Aura swooped in on her speeder bike and rescued Bosk from their wrath. They had to duck and weave to avoid the clumsy shots fired at them by the hunters lurking in the dunes. The Tuscans celebrated their momentary victory as they watched the speeder vanish over the dunes. Now that the excitement had worn off, Ash felt exhausted and empty. His wound had stopped bleeding, but the pain had slowly started to make itself known again. Turning to limp back to the healer's tent, he caught sight of his father. Kneeling in the sand, the proud leader was cradling his wife's body. Father. Sherrod didn't seem to hear him. As Ash grew closer, he saw him lovingly brushing the sand from her cold cheek, her ugly mortal wound hidden from sight as he pressed her face to his chest. A strange, low moan came from his father that stopped Ash in his tracks. The scene before him awoke a memory. Listen to your father, Ash. Violence only breeds more violence. The bounty hunters are going to come back in force if we retaliate. The desert will reclaim our tents, and it will be like we had never existed. All that we loved would be gone. I'm so sorry. Father, I should have listened to you. Now they'll come for us, and I'll be the reason we're wiped out. I... Yes, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. 
You would still be with me if I had not so stubbornly clung to my ideals. Our son was right. Ash stood frozen. His father thought he was right. I will defend our tribe. Truly defend them. In your memory, my love. Sherrod tore off her necklace and gently lowered Yasara to the ground and slowly began to cover her with sand in the Tuscan way. She would be buried where she fell. I will keep you with me. Always. As his mother disappeared forever into the desert's embrace, Ash reached out and placed a comforting hand on his father's shoulder. He was rooted to the spot in shock as his father rose and pulled him into a fierce embrace. We will not stand back and watch any longer. Sherrod released Ash from the embrace and looked down upon the necklace in his hand. It was a thin strip of leather upon which Yasara had strung random beads and pieces of bone Ash had found as a child, everything polished smooth by the desert. Still supporting his son, he turned to address the expectant crowd. No longer will we stand and watch our families be slaughtered like animals. If that vile hut means to bring a fight to us, we will be ready. A sense of pride and purpose swelled up in Ash's chest. Calling his fallen lightsaber to his hand, he ignited it and held it high in the air. The heavy metal doors of Java's palace squealed as they were raised up to let Aura and Bosk slip in. Gloomy darkness clung to them as they made their way down a sloping ramp to Java's throne room. Their nerves stood at attention despite their seasoned hardness. Even for ruthless killers such as themselves, there was something deeply unsettling about this place. Bosk, let me handle this. I think I know how I can score some more cash from the mighty Jabba. <laughs> You're the boss. The pair nodded in silent agreement as they rounded the corner. Mindful of the hidden trap door in front of Jabba's flat, unimposing dais, the two bounty hunters slowly approached the massive slug-like hut and his translator droid. Aura tossed Yasara's mask at the foot of the dais. With her other hand, she brought up her mercenary's puck and activated it. The hazy shape of a female Tuscan appeared in the hologram. We did what you asked. Their chiefess is dead. Ah. Hankyota, Akisa Anki. The mighty Java notes that you are without your third companion. 
Her son wasn't thrilled with her death, and Tarogal was too stupid to get away. Ugh, idiot. Getting killed by some kid. Some bounty hunter he was. <laughs> His Excellency bids you return to the encampment at sunrise. He demands you rid him of these pests once and for all. Java is prepared to pay you. 1,000 credits for each head you The assignment just got a lot more dangerous for us, Hut. We're gonna need some of that up front. The mighty Java demands to know why he must pay up front. Well, that kid took Taro Gallon with a lightsaber. Anyone else want to take his place? The crowd of eager bounty hunters that had gathered seemed to melt back into the darkness. See, even this bunch of Tatooine's finest are afraid to go up against a lightsaber. If we're going to be able to hire a crew, we're going to need some of that cash up front. <laughs> The magnanimous Java accepts your stipulation and grants you an advance of 10,000 credits. 15. Or we walk. Bib Fortuna, Jabba's Twi'lek Major Domo, stepped forward and handed Bosk a bag of credit ingots. The Trandoshan quickly counted through it and nodded at Aura. It's all here. Good. Nice doing business with you, Jabba. Aura threw a casual wave at Jabba over her shoulder as she and Bosk sauntered out of the throne room. The Tuscan's fate was sealed. Oh.